May we turn, please, to the book of Deuteronomy? And uh, I want to turn to the closing part of the book, to chapter 20, or rather chapter 32, to the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses. Moses has come to the end of the journey. He was commanded by the Lord to be their deliverer and to lead them out of Egypt. And Moses was called and ordained and prepared and trained by God to be this great leader of his people, taking them out of Egyptian bondage and leading them over to the land of promise. And of all the great things in Moses' career, the greatest was to come to the land itself. And yet, because he sinned, God didn't permit Moses to go into that land. Here it stands as a tremendous lesson. Moses was called by the burning bush. Moses was protected in the little bulrushes. Moses was taken to Pharaoh's household. Oh, step by step through the life of this man, Moses. You see God preparing him. And God spoke to him and told him to go and speak to Pharaoh, the king. And God used Moses and Aaron in this tremendous liberation which took place when these multiplied thousands of Hebrews marched out of Egypt. One of the greatest exoduses that the human race has ever seen. It came to this Red Sea. It was blocked. God opened and by his own almighty power he divided that sea and they went across on dry land. And then the Egyptians who were pursuing, they went into the bed of that sea and the waters destroyed them and their chariots. Tremendous holocaust of destruction. And then the children of Israel stood on the bank on the other side. They'd been delivered. Their enemies were washing a floor ashore as dead corpses. And they sang the great hymn of Moses and the Lamb on that shore. Moses then led them on down till they came to Mount Sinai. And he heard the murmurings and the complaints. And God gave them the manna that came from the heavens. And the quails came in every day. And they had food. And he carried them on eagles' wings through that desert. They came to Mount Sinai and God gave them the great law, the majesty of the Ten Commandments. Here it is. God gave it to us through Moses. And then the children of Israel sinned. They had a golden calf and Moses broke the Ten Commandments and he had to go back up again to get it, the Lord to give them to him a second time. Then they moved from there a short distance over to Kadesh Barnea. And everything was set for them to go in and possess this great land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, as God had promised it. And the people had uh, a weakness, and they lacked faith. And two of their spies came back and says, it's a great land, but the Lord will give it to us. But ten of them came back and says, it's a big land with giants, and we can't take it. And when the people listened to that report, 
God says, I'm going to judge you. You go back out into that wilderness and for 40 long years, you wander until the carcasses of every one of you adults are buried there. Then I'll take these little ones that you were worried about. I'll take care of them and they'll be the ones that go into the land. And Moses then had to wander and lead his people for 40 years because of their sin. And Jesus Christ said, your sins have kept good things from you. Your sins have kept good things from you. And then we come now to where we are in this passage today. And Moses has come down to the very end of his ministry. And the Lord's just getting ready to tell him, Moses, now I'm going to take you up to the top of Mount Nebo and there you're going to die. But I want you to just get a look. You can see the land of promise. Think of a man spending all his years and all his life and all his strength and all his time, the great leader of this mighty flock of people. And God says, Moses, I'm not going to let you go in. There was a day, Moses, when you stood in that wilderness and the people were murmuring and you knew I could give you water out of the rock and you struck the water and you came the glory of it. You claimed the glory of it and you didn't give it to me. And because of that, you'll not go into that land and see that land. And so Moses had to go up. Moses knew he wasn't going to get to go in. Moses knew that the Lord had told him he'd have to die outside of that land. So Moses had some plans. And one of the plans that Moses had was that he'd teach the people a song. He'd give them a song. And when he was long passed away and they'd look back and see the mountain where Moses was buried and you can see it throughout all that area, of course, they'd still have a song in their heart. Moses had given them the Ten Commandments. Moses had given them the law. Moses had given them the statutes. Oh, this book of Deuteronomy is one of the greatest books of all the Bible. And I told you, Jesus Christ quotes it more than any other book in the Old Testament. Of course, the Psalms and Isaiah come along. But Deuteronomy is the great treasure into which our Savior dipped as he tied himself in with Moses and the law. Now I want you to turn with me, please. All of you take your Bibles now, if you will, and turn to the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy. Notice verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. And this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Beloved, let me stop right there. Not only is Moses not going to get to go into the land personally like he, he would like to have gone. He spent his whole life leading them to the land. The Lord says, no, Moses, you can't go. But the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to take you. You're going to sleep with your fathers. And when you're gone, Moses, when, when, you, when I've taken you away and these people go into this land, these people are going to turn and go a-whoring after other gods. 
Beloved, Moses is confronted with the reality that we're confronted with today. The pull is always down, down, down. It takes vigilance, eternal vigilance, to maintain these standards of the truth and these standards of the law. It takes it. And beloved, this is the story all through the history. Take the book of Judges. Take the Old Testament. Take our struggles in our generation. Take the struggles of church history. And this is the problem. The people turn a whoring. They go after the world. They go after the gods that are surrounding them. They go after the new dreams and the new ideas. They move in these areas. And then God raises up prophets who come and speak to them. And warn them and pronounce the judgments of God upon them. And then they repent and they turn and they come back to God and you have days of refreshing for a period and for a time. And that's exactly what you had as we come now. Moses has led them and brought them all through these years and they're just ready to go. And God says, Moses, when they get over in that land, they're going to go back. They're going to love other gods. And it's your task, Moses, to speak to them and to do everything you can to keep them from doing it. And now Moses gets a song. He thinks a song will help him. He thinks if he can teach them a song, if they can carry the song, maybe that'll be something that Moses taught us this psalm. Moses gave us this psalm. Moses was trying to hold us back to the great things of Sinai. And he's trying to make us be true to these great things that our father suffered for. And so Moses gives them a song. You know, no man can have a ministry of any duration or any period of time with the Lord's people without seeing these same forces operating in the life of the people. You see them. I see it. No man can be associated with a movement such as we've been in our lifetime and we've had our struggles and we've seen these developments and then you see these influences of decay. You see these forces that come in that would divert. You see these powers that would pull down. And it's one of the great heartbreaks. I'm sure it was one of the great heartbreaks of Moses and he said it's one of the great heartbreaks of any man, any minister, anywhere to see people in whom he's had the greatest of confidence and the greatest of trust, all of a sudden they seem to crack and break and the first thing you know, they've decided that the standards that we had were too high or they're too strong and we won't keep them anymore. And Moses is dealing here with his people. He says when they go into that land, they're going to say Moses was too strict. Moses was too severe. Moses was just a little too intolerant. Moses this and Moses that. And so they, 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 they yield to all the appeals and the approaches and the powers that surround them. All right, now will you read a little further? I read you the 16th verse. Turn down, if you will, please, to verse 19. Now therefore write ye this song for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me 
against the children of Israel. Moses, you write the song and you teach it to them and get the words in their mouths, get this fill their mouths full of this melody and full of these words, just fill it up. And he says the very words of this song will be a witness against them. The very words that come out of the, uh, of the hymn that they sing will be a witness against them. Verse 20, he said, For when ye shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. For I know their imagination which they go about even now, before I have brought them into the land which I have sworn, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. You know, beloved, one of the things that was so blessed about the Wesley movement, the Methodist movement, was that they were the greatest of singers. Oh, the Methodists of this country in the last century, they had their great camp meetings and they just sang and sang. You could hear them singing over the hills. And I think the one thing that's helped the Methodists, at least the rank and file of the Methodists more than anything, other, anything else, is the singing which they learned. Your songs last so much longer than your faith and your actions. And that's what God is bearing testimony to here. So Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it the children of Israel. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with them. And it came to pass, when Moses had made an end of writing of the words of this law in a book, until they were finished. But Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against them. Beloved, God was fortifying them. God was putting about them. God had done something with that generation he hadn't done with another generation. He'd brought them out of Egypt. He'd spoken to them in the wilderness. And now the children are going to have to carry on. The younger generation has to take hold. And they must go into the land. And Joshua is going to be their leader now. And Joshua must have courage. And Joshua must have strength. And Joshua must take of the covenant and he must remind them of it. And Joshua will now be the leader of their choruses. And he'll lead them in the singing of this song. You know, I told you that one reason I turned to the book of Deuteronomy for this series of messages for you was that it deals with the orphans and the fatherless and the children. And in the book of Deuteronomy, you have tremendous emphasis 
upon the next generation carrying out the standards of Moses. The whole book of Deuteronomy has this transition from one generation to another generation. And you have in the book of Deuteronomy this emphasis that you tell it to your children. You write it on their hearts. You talk about it when you sit in the house. When you're by the wayside, you speak of these things. And the responsibility of one generation to the coming generation is the primary responsibility which is here held before us. And now Moses says, I'm going to teach you a song. Oh, the place of music in the testimony and the program of God. It's here. And so we have this great song. There are two mighty songs, of course. One in Exodus 15, you know, I told you about that after they crossed the Red Sea. And they stood there and the enemies were in carnage and in havoc. And they'd been safely brought out. Then they sang this great hymn there in the 15th chapter of Exodus. And they've carried that with them, and we have it, of course, today. It's the song of Moses. But now we come to this last song, and this is the one that Moses writes at the end of his life. This is the one in which he has everything that you could possibly put in a song. And it's the most interesting thing to see how Moses put all these factors and all these elements into this hymn. In fact, it would be as though Moses had taken everything that ever was in his heart, everything that he ever wanted the people to have. He says, I'll put it in the hymn and then they'll have it and they'll never be able to shake it off because it'll be in the melodies of their hearts. All right, now let's look at it. Chapter 32. Do you know that this hymn is only 43 verses long? It's quite a hymn. 43 verses in length. Which meant they had to memorize it and then they had to, to be able to sing it. And all we can do today, of course, is just touch on the opening sections of it where you have the major elements in it. Give ear, O ye heaven. We have something to sing about, beloved. We want a whole of heaven to listen to us down here when we sing. Did you ever stop to think that when you sing in this choir and you make melody to the Lord that what we're singing here goes up to heaven? Did you ever stop to think that when we have our services of public worship and we sing these melodies and we sing these great hymns of praise, we're not singing for our own benefit. We're singing to the praises of heaven, beloved. And that's why when we come into the sanctuary, it's holy to us. We, we sit here in a spirit of reverence. We're going to sing. And what are we going to sing? Just to please our own hearts. No, we're going to open up our hearts and let heaven listen. We're going to up and open up our hearts and let all the hosts of heaven uh, respond to what we're doing down here. Beloved, we've got something to sing for. 
We've been brought out of Egypt. We've been redeemed. We're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. And the promised land is just out there before us. And they sang a hymn when they left Egypt. And they have a hymn now just as Moses leaves them. And they get ready to go into the land of Canaan. Oh, heaven, give ear. And I will speak in here. Oh, earth, listen to the words of my mouth. Oh, let all humanity, let the whole race, let everybody that dwells on the face of this earth listen to what we're going to say at the present time. And here you have this tremendous testimony that God's people have always wanted to have. We have a message to tell to the nations. We have a story to give to lost mankind. We have the only message that's worth telling. We have the only story that has any truth or power in it to save the soul of a man. That's the way this hymn starts. We are a people who are to command. We are a people who are to speak. We are a people who are to declare. And what are we going to declare? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, beloved, we should be the shoutingest people. We should be the people that just get our message out. And we should be the people announcing all over the world. Beloved, you're the only person, you and I, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ that know the message of life. And the world about us is in utter, total darkness. Without Christ, there is no light. Without Christ, there is no life. Without Christ, there is no peace. Without Christ, there is no comfort. Yea, beloved, without Christ, we are nothing, absolutely nothing. And all that we have is in Jesus Christ. Oh, how this great hymn begins. Now, Moses says, verse 2. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. Oh, beloved, when the rain begins to fall and we have these rains coming down, and Moses says, the doctrine that I have to give, I want it to spread all over the earth and water the ground just like the rain. And then when you go out in the morning and here's the dew, it's spread all over the grass. And we go out in one of these mornings as we did this week and we find frost everywhere. It's on the windshield of our cars and we run into it. Moses says, I want my doctrine to be like the frost on the windshield of your cars. I want my doctrine to be like the dew that's on the grass in the morning. I want my doctrine to be like the rains that come down and they nourish the earth and they bring life and refreshment to the grass that's on the ground. I want my doctrine to be like that. Beloved, let's get the doctrine. Let's get the truth of the gospel. Let's get the revelation that's come down from heaven. And then let's preach it. And don't be, a somebody, don't be ashamed of somebody if he makes a fool out of himself while he's doing it. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and doctrine. 
My doctrine, he says, shall drop as the rain. Now verse 3, look at that, please. Because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness to our God. Oh, beloved, the publishing of the name of our God. Oh, you young people, let's send missionaries. Oh, you young men that have your years before you and your lives ahead of you, let's go out and publish the name of the Lord. Those of us who have all of the years that are before us with the sunshine that's upon our faces, let's go and publish it. My, the Church of Christ ought to be alive and awake and militant and on our feet and on our toes and proclaiming this thing. And then as he comes to the close, he says, Ascribe ye greatness to our God. Beloved, we're in this great service this morning, and you and I have a great and a mighty God. He's given us his precious word, and you take it and it just lives, you just expound it. Last Sunday, you know, I asked the young people of the choir if they had their Bible. You bring your Bible this Sunday? Let's see, you got it? All right, you now. How about this side? You got your Bible, honey? All of you? Yeah? There's one little girl who shakes her head. Honey, if you don't have one, I'll give you one after church. But you know, I get into trouble when I ask questions like this. Every time you get down, you, it's all right to stand up here and preach, but when you get down to making applications too closely, then you get into trouble. You know what one of these young ladies said to me? She said, yes, Dr. McIntyre, you didn't ask the senior choir if they had their Bibles. She says, I know they didn't all have theirs. Now, you see, I, I asked this question here. And immediately they start, well, what's wrong with the other fellow? That's the way you do. That's the way you all are. I'm that way too. We all have that disposition. But the minute somebody points a finger at you, you say, well, you put your finger over there. You point your finger over there. That's the way we are. Ah, beloved, it's a good thing. The senior choir ought to set the example to the junior choir. No problem there. And furthermore, you parents must set the example to your children in these things. And you parents must bring your children, not send them. Bring them. And I can stand here in this pulpit and I can preach day in and day out. And I can't get through to these children because the parents are not setting the example to the children and they look at the parents instead of me. And that's one of the problems I have. And if you parents want to cooperate with your pastor, and if you want the ideals and the standards that your pastor is standing up here and preaching to your children, then you first set the example. You first set before them what they should be doing, and then God will seal it in their hearts. Now let's go back, if you will, please, to this great psalm, this great hymn. Verse 4, there's a, there's a modulating, there's a movement, there's a progression through this great hymn as Moses wrote it. And we find here, he says, I will publish the name of the Lord. Verse 3, I will ascribe the greatness of our God. And then he stops and he says, he is the rock. 
Oh, our God, he's the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And when he comes to the place where he says, we shall publish the name of our God, he stops and says, here is the great rock. He isn't moved. Here's the mighty rock. His ways are perfect. He's the God of truth. Just and right is he. And can't you hear Abraham say, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And when we come into these great areas where there are mysteries and questions that we can't solve, can't you just leave it in his hands and say, the judge of all the earth will do right in that great day? Oh, Moses is giving them a song. He's giving them a hymn. And he wants the children that go into the land of Canaan to remember that their God is the rock and that their God is perfect that their God is without iniquity and that their God is the God of truth and that their God is just and that their God is always right. Oh, beloved, when you go to singing, you start singing about the faithfulness of God and the nature of God and the work of God and the power of God and you're a people who then delight in the God of the scriptures. I don't know how you people feel, but when I get to preaching a sermon like this out of this kind of a text and all this exaltation of God and go out and proclaim it, I want to get a thousand radio stations. I'd like to get on every television station in the country. I'd like to go out and proclaim this thing. And furthermore, I'd like to enlist the support of this lad. I'd like to get this young lady here. I'd like to get this girl over here. I'd like to get this one back here. I'd like to enlist their support and let them catch a vision of this thing. I want them to learn to sing this song. I want this song to be in their hearts. So that when I'm gone and you're gone, they'll say, oh, I remember back there the days when they were preaching and they were preaching for Moses. And Moses said, our God is perfect. His ways are ways of righteousness. He's just. He's the God of truth. And our God is a rock. And when everything else is quicksand and sinking sand, when everything else is turmoil and confusion, when everything else is contradiction, there's a great blur in the land, I can stand on a rock and be safe. And that rock is our God. Now let's go a little further. Beloved, this Psalm of Moses is the conclusion of all his years, of all his experience with God. And this is the climax of it all. And Moses is now giving it to the children of Israel because he knows he's going to make the trip up to Mount Nebo tomorrow or the next day. And he's going to be gone. And God will take him yonder to the other side. Verse 5. They have corrupted themselves and the whole picture changed. They, the people, they have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and a crooked generation. In Matthew 17, 17, our Savior used virtually the same words. It's a quotation from, from Moses. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? 
Is not he the father that brought you out of Egypt? He brought you there. Hath he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. All right, beloved, just look right in that one, that one statement of Moses. Oh, you foolish people. How foolish the people are today in our churches and in this great apostasy. Why they stay in it. Why they remain a part of such iniquity and sin. Oh, you foolish people. And notice what he says. Hath not thy father bought thee? What did the Lord Jesus Christ do to make you his child? What price did the Son of God pay to bring you to himself? And if he has bought you, Paul says, ye are not your own, ye are bought with a price. Be not ye therefore the servants of men. Let's be the servants of the living God. Oh, he's bought you. And beloved, those of you who are listening to me, wherever you may be on this earth or in these uh, church services, those of you who are listening to me right now, if you have been redeemed, you are purchased. You've been bought out of Egypt. You've been bought out of sin. You've been bought out of darkness. You've been purchased and you are not your own. Well, then quit trying to act like you do have possession of your life and you can do with it what you please. Beloved, you can't do with your life what you please. You can't do with your years what you please. You can't do with your time what you please. You must use your years and your time and your life in the service of the one to whom you belong, and that one is Jesus Christ. Oh, this is the dedication and consecration. And then Moses moves on and he says, Hath he not made thee? Not only have you been purchased by him, but Moses says he made you. Everything about you is, is come from God. He says, I want you people to understand that you didn't make yourself. There's not any one of you that can add even a cubit to your statute. And who of you, as our Lord Jesus Christ was reminding us, can even count the number of the hairs that are in your head? They're all numbered. And beloved Moses, oh, this is New Testament doctrine. I can't believe these ideas that you've got progression and evolution and that you've got a primitive religion under Moses and somehow the other thing developed. And finally, by the time we got to Jesus, it had progressed quite a ways. I don't believe that there is a different God in Moses' day than there was in the day of Christ and that we have another God for our day. It's the same God, the same price that he paid to purchase us, the same power that he used to make us and to create us. And beloved, everything that you have, every faculty you possess that you have now and which you're using has been to you a gift of God. And as I come to this great Christmas season and I listen to Moses back here in this blessed psalm, he's saying you've been purchased. God gave his son to redeem you. You've been made. I created you and gave you what you have. And everything that you are and everything that you shall ever be, you will be by the grace of the almighty God. The grace of God. And Moses, beloved, is giving us good New Testament doctrine. And then he says, he hath established thee. 
Oh, you children of Israel, he kept you through the wilderness. Now you're getting ready to go and he's established you. Would you kindly tell me, beloved, who's established you? Who gave you your home? Who gave you your bank account? Who gave you your job? Who gave you the land in which you live? Who gave you these things? Who established our goings in this place? Would you answer that for me? The answer is our God. And I go to this land of Korea and I see my orphans and all these over there in such poverty. And I look at them. These little Koreans, you just love them so. And you look at these dear Korean ladies and all how they wear these beautiful white dresses and they have their little sashes on and they run down here and they all have their black Bibles and women have their hair fixed up. There's nothing vain about them. And then I see these men and I see the kind of houses they live in, little two rooms and they have no furniture. They've got a heated floor they sit on. And then I see the thatched roof they have over made out of the straw from the rice fields or out of some baked tile that they've made. And I see that and I look and say, Lord, Lord God, isn't it strange that you made me to live in America? I was born in this country. And you made them to live in South Korea. They were born in this country. Who hath established you? And beloved, when you go out from listening to a preacher preach the word of God to you today, you ought to go out from this place and say, Lord, everything I have, you gave it to me. Everything I am, you've made me. And everything I ever hope to be, I'll be by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that just brings you right down to the hymn of Moses. Right down to this great place where God is the rock. God is everything for us. And beloved, I don't want to go into this this morning. I don't want to go into this. Oh, but my heart breaks when I think of my country. Why don't we trust God? Why don't we believe in God? Why don't we ask God to deliver us in our trials? And why don't we seek to honor God in this nation? And we would get some deliverance. Now go one step further. Verse 7. Remember the days of old. You've got purchase, that's redemption. You've got made, that's creation. You've got established, that's providence. And now you have remember, remember. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he'll show thee. Son, son, did you ever go and ask your father? Let him show you. Just look at that. Ask thy father and he will show thee. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you dads have your sons come over and say, Dad, tell me this, will you? And then he'd say, I don't have time, son. Or just show him. Ask thy father. He'll show thee. And then we go back. I don't have time to develop the rest of that for you. There's all these verses, but you come to the further end of this great hymn and you have the jealousy of God and the wrath of God and the judgment of God which will be poured out upon the people if they turn away from this great revelation. And that's what's getting ready to happen to us in our country. We're ripening for judgment. Because the people who know better and should know better, they don't remember. 
Now, there's one thought when I was preparing this and thinking about it that came to my mind, and it's quite a question. It's quite a question. We've got the words for this hymn, but where's the melody? What happened to the melody? Wouldn't you like to have been there that day when Moses wrote this and went out to children and says, I've got a hymn, I'm going to leave you, I want you to learn it. And can you imagine Moses, the great choir leader? Can you imagine Moses, the great song leader? He says, these are the words, now learn them. And this is the tune. And how did Moses sing? My, when that great company began to sing across those plains and where they were gathered. What was the melody? I don't know. They quit singing it. I don't know. They quit singing it. They've quit singing it. Oh, they sang it for one generation, for second generation, third generation, but they quit singing it. I don't know what the melody was. They quit singing it. Moses gave the words and they're written in the scriptures. He said it'll be in their hearts. But beloved, even songs dry up. Even the melodies, we forget them. And so we don't have it. We'll have to wait, of course, until we get to heaven. And then we'll hear the melody. We'll hear the song. You take the Psalter, take the whole book of Psalms. What is music, 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 the poetry that's there? They sang the song. Wouldn't you love to hear the first song? Of course, I can go back to Scotland and to Ireland where they sing the Psalms and you rejoice in the melodies they have there and they sing the 23rd Psalm. We still sing the 23rd Psalm around here. But oh, beloved, all of these great Psalms had melodies. And where were they? In the heart of the little girl, in the heart of the young lad. And then as the days passed, Moses said, I'll be gone. They can sing the songs. And isn't it interesting that even now you and I have some of that left in us? Maybe it's just the way we're all made. But when you get to be 35 years of age, you look back and some of the songs you used to sing, you sing them and my, oh, my, they begin to thrill your heart. And the older you get, the more precious those early songs are. And even in my own country, we think we used to sing America the Beautiful. We used to sing My Country Tis of Thee. They don't sing it anymore. They all sing these other things all the time. But even now, when you begin to hear these things, and you get in some of our patriotic groups, they'll do it. But even now, it brings something back into your heart, the singing, the music. Let's sing. May this week be one of the greatest singing weeks we've had. If you've heard my broadcast this week, I've had a great time telling everybody that the, 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 the Christmas carols belong to the fundamentalists. We just rule a modernist out. They can't sing them. Can Bishop Pike talk about round John mother virgin and child? He'll have to swallow his Adam's apple if he got to that thing. He doesn't believe in it. He couldn't possibly sing it. See, the, the, the Christmas carols belong to us. And though the church may move and the church can change its doctrine, still some of you know the great carols with all this tremendous emphasis upon the truth and sound doctrine. Christmas belongs to the fundamentalists. 
The Messiah which we're going to sing tonight belongs to the fundamentalist. It belongs to us who believe. And that's the song of Moses. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank thee for this great song today. That Moses knew that by teaching the people to sing, his ideals, his standards, the things for which he lived and suffered could be carried a little further into the next generation. God, make us a singing people. And oh, may we sing this week. For Christ's sake, amen.